Now, there's two kinds of people in the world, which you can divide people into all kinds of groups, but there's two kinds of people that we're going to talk about today. Um, how many of you are like me, and you prefer things to be pretty neat and orderly? Okay, now raise your hands if you're not like me and you're a monster instead. Yeah, a few of you monsters out there. A pile for everything and everything in its pile, right? That's how uh, you do things. Um, see, it's, it's really weird and I don't know how long I've been this way. I don't know what, when that part of my personality uh, kind of developed. But I notice my surroundings have a very strong influence on my mood and how I can, on my ability to behave like a normal, sane, rational human being. Um, if you like just walk by my office sometime and take a peek in there, you'll notice I rarely keep a lot of stuff on my desk. Every now and then it'll get pretty full. That just means there's a lot going on at the moment, but I won't let it stay that way very long. I usually will file things and keep as little as possible as I can on my desk. Um, I'm that way with my computer background, my computer desktop, excuse me. You know, I don't like thousands of things on my computer. Oh, that drives me nuts just when you open somebody's computer and like, hey, can you help me fix my computer? It's like, well, how do you even know where things are? There's just two dozen things and they're all out of order and you know by the way this is just a helpful computer tip you can right click and you can usually find like it'll order it's like clean up your desktop and put everything in a nice grid that that's just good for you some of you need to do that okay um my email inbox i only keep emails in my inbox that still require me to do something if I've taken action on something or I've read it, it, it gets filed away. And so I don't have all these emails scrolling for thousands. The, um, a lot of you have phones, and it's got that little red dot over your email app, and it says like 4,000 unread emails. I see that over your shoulder when you get your phone out, and it stresses me out for you. <laughs> I just can't handle that, okay? I like things to be neat and orderly. Um, I will say, though, the one place my tolerance has really increased for disorder, clutter, and mess is my house. And that is out of sheer necessity so that I don't lose my mind. Because I got three little mess makers that are constantly running around getting toys out. And I have learned to relax and just watch where I step. Because nothing will make you go from zero to a scale of 11 in your terms of anger like stepping on a toy. Legos especially, that's a pretty common one. And um, I can be okay with a lot of mess to a certain point, but after, after a point, though, I start feeling like closed in on, like almost get claustrophobic. And I'm not really that way, but when there's just too much stuff, and no matter which room you go to, there's just stuff everywhere, I just start to like feel boxed in, and I'll go on like some super cleaning spree, and I'll mop, and I'll clean bathrooms, and I'll wipe everything down, and I'll dust, and I'll vacuum, and I will feel so much better. By the way, don't think that like you can invite me over to your house and that's going to kick in. No, that only applies to my house. If you invite me to your house, I ain't going to, I don't go into that mode. That's your deal. Uh, <laughs> but, but that's just kind of how it is for me. I don't know. The mess uh, kind of messes with how I function. It, it, it means chaos because nothing is where it should be. It means confusion because I can't find the things that I need. Sometimes it, it makes me feel like I'm behind because that pile might be Bills that need to be paid or school papers that need to be addressed or something like that. And so it really bothers me. And I'm even the kind of person that if I get to a certain stress level, I will start doing things to prevent more mess in my life. Uh, I do this all the time with my kids. They'll try to get the couch cushions down. They love getting our couch cushions, piling them on the floor, doing flips off the couch onto these cushions. 
I used to worry that they were going to die, but I had to get over that a long time ago. And so, but there's times where it's like there's so much mess, and they're like, we're making a cushion pile. And I'm like, no, you're not. Why? And, you know, it used to be because of the couch. I don't want you to tear up the couch. It's a lost cause. It's already been. It's so stained and gross. It ain't going to hurt the couch anymore. But there's this thing. It's like, no, there's so many things out. I can't take any more things out. And so I get to be a little grumpy. And it's like, no, put the couch cushions away. And it's just not because they're being bad or anything. It's just because I can't handle any more of that. And so I turn into a grump and I say, no. And some of you have never related more to me ever. And some of you are looking at me like I'm an alien with eight heads, and you think, what a weird guy, you know? How, I would not get along with him outside of this church setting. Um, but this mentality, though, for a lot of us, it goes far beyond just our, our orderliness of physical space and our, our desire to keep things nice and neat in terms of dirt and stuff. A lot of us, we will even bring this mentality into the church. And again, I don't mean dirt. Um, I mean the mess that comes from life. Because life is messy in general. I don't think any of us would, would deny that. Very few people have a, a very clean life, a very clean history. And the mess comes from decisions that we've made, bad decisions that we've made. Mess comes from relational problems. Mess comes when we get ourselves into crunches with money and we make desperate decisions. Mess comes when we're addicted to certain substances or behaviors. And the thing about life mess is that rarely does one person's mess only affect that person. Just the nature of mess is that it spreads and it goes elsewhere. Whether you see someone whose life is a mess and you go to try to help them out, you're going to get messy helping them out. Or maybe somebody did something uh, hurtful or they betrayed you or lied to you. That mess that they caused just instinctively, naturally flows onto your life as they're inflicting that level of pain. And that's just how all messes work. Mess always flows. Mess always moves. Mess always affects other people than just the person causing the mess. And one of the amazing things that happens for those of us who decide to follow Jesus with our lives, if we actually try and start doing some following and we listen and let the, the commands of Christ and Scripture and how he's called us to live, if we actually invite those, those behaviors to you know, be a part of how we live, our lives will get less messy to a point. Our lives will get better, less dramatic, less chaotic. We will hurt less people. And our lives, if we follow Christ, will be cleaner and less messy than they used to be. Um, a couple examples. The more I let the Holy Spirit transform me so that I can stop being selfish and I can love my wife the way Jesus has loved me and the way Christ has loved the church by being sacrificial and giving and generous, the more I can love her that way, the less fights we have, the less hurt that is caused on my part, the less reactive hurt that she's going to try to cause on me, the less all kinds of pain that goes around. Our, our relationship will be better. Our communication will be better. Every area of our, our marriage will get better, less dramatic, less painful. Why? Because when you follow Jesus, your life naturally gets a little less messy because you're not as prone to doing those things that are so incredibly painful to the people around you. Um, another one is if I... Again, let the Holy Spirit transform my life so that I want, again, live like Jesus and I put my hope in Christ above all else and I let that transform everything. That's going to transform things like how I handle money. You know, I'm not going to say, oh, i got to have a certain amount of money to be, to be safe in life. It's like, no, 
God's going to see me through. Christ has, has got me. I've got, I don't have to worry about this all the time. Christ was generous. I can be generous. That, that loosens my grip on money. And so that I'm not being stingy. I'm not more as prone to ripping people off and, you know, fudging numbers here and there and everywhere. When, when, I, when Christ is my contentment, I'm less likely to spend all my money and get my family into a mess. And so the more I let Christ transform me, the more I follow in the footsteps of Jesus, again, life just gets a little neater, a little less problematic, a little less dramatic. And so what can happen at times when you get a lot of Christians together in a church and we've been Christians for a while and we've made a certain amount of progress and our lives are all collectively a lot cleaner than they used to be, as we get used to being around other clean people, we'll get a little bit of a, an aversion to the mess of life. We'll get a low threshold, if you will, for the mess and people that are messy, so that when we see people with messy lives, we start to lean away, not lean in. We start to uh, look at them and go, man, I'm glad I'm not like that anymore. I'm glad I don't live that way anymore. You know what? I don't even want to get too close to them because I've been that kind of messy, and if I get too close to them, I'm going to be that kind of messy again. And so we just start to kind of back off of people whose lives are kind of a mess. Which brings me to the vital sign that we need to talk about today. And if you are just coming today and you've missed the first two weeks, let me kind of bring you up to speed. We are talking about vital signs, not of our own, not like heartbeat, but, but vital signs, ways that we can kind of keep an eye on our church, certain things that you and I can monitor and pay attention to, that if we are really paying attention, they can tell us if we're moving closer to health or farther away from health as a church. And in the first week of the series, we talked about how if we need to pay attention to if we are actually reaching non-Christians with the gospel of Jesus, or if we're actually just reaching Christians and kind of consolidating all the Christians into one place, uh, transfer growth to conversion growth, we talked about that. Last week we talked about how we need to pay attention to our attitude toward non-Christians and how very often we as Christians, we are a little not nice, not kind, not loving in the way Christ has called us to love people who aren't believers. But today's vital sign is about answering this question. How messy is our church? And if you're like me, you're instinctively going to think cleaner is better. Because cleaner means, again, we're following Jesus the way we should. There's not as much drama in our lives. We're not hurting people. We're not saying things we shouldn't. We're loving and we're, and, and we're just kind of alleviating pain where we go. We're not causing undue pain as we live our lives. So cleaner must be better. And to a certain extent, you're right. If we are people who are living and following in Jesus' footsteps, our lives will be a little bit more orderly, a little bit cleaner, and that can be a sign of maturity, that we have, again, put sin behind us, and we followed Jesus to a certain place uh, of, of maturity. But if there is no mess at all, what that can tell us is that we're not reaching out to the world. We're not having any connection point to people who are stuck in sin, who are struggling with problems that, again, we know the way to be clean. We know the way to get our lives in order. It's through Christ's transformative work in our lives, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We know the way to get clean, and we're just, instead of letting people in and reaching out to them with this message, we're letting them wallow in their mess. And so it can mean that we're not reaching out the way that we should. 
And if you read through any of the Gospels, which the Gospels are the first four books of our New Testament, they are um, Jesus-focused biographies. They are all four, four just different versions of the same thing. Four biographies of Jesus written by four different people, which is why if you've ever started to read the New Testament, you got through Matthew and you thought, this is really nice. I learned a lot about Jesus. And then you get into Mark, which is the second book of the New Testament, and you start to think, didn't I read this already? Yes, there are four versions, uh, different accounts of the same thing. And so in those Gospels, if you pay attention, did Jesus steer clear of the messy people? No. He steered clear of the the clean people the religious people, the upright people that looked like they had it all together. Jesus instinctively ran into the mess. He gravitated naturally toward the mess. He sought out messy people with oftentimes a laser focus. And so we're going to look, I just want to read a quick uh, little passage out of the Gospel of Mark, the second book in the New Testament. It'll be on page 837, I believe, in the hardback Bibles in front of you. If you brought your own, I don't know what page it's on. Good luck, you can find it. It shouldn't be too terribly difficult. Um, But in this story, it is just a, a perfect example of Jesus just going straight for the mess. Not, not standing outside and saying, hey, let's figure this out. I mean, he just like, it's like diving into a mud puddle is kind of the way Jesus handles this particular situation. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, is where we'll start. It says, again, or he went out, Jesus, Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. People came to Jesus. Why? Because he loved them in their mess. He helped them out of their mess. He helped them in whatever they were struggling with. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his, Levi's house, so Jesus said to this tax guy, come on, you're with me now. And he's like, oh, okay. People just kind of did that when Jesus was like, come on. They're like, okay, I guess. I don't know how he had that kind of power over people, but he did. And so he goes to their house, to this guy's house, Levi. And it says, and many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And for there were many who followed him. And, as, and the scribes and Pharisees, oh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop there. Let's just stop right there. Now, a lot of this powerful story is lost on us because, again, we're not, we don't live 2,000 years ago. Um, 2,000 years ago, a tax collector was something very different than what we would think of when we hear the word tax anything today. Okay? Today we think of maybe a lawmaker who makes taxes. Sometimes you think of the guy um, that works at the IRS. Maybe you think of the person who does your taxes that you visit you know, once or quarterly, whatever it is you do your taxes, right? But in ancient Israel, first century Israel, tax collectors were not a fun group of people to be around. You see, in the first century, Israel was under the domain of the Roman Empire, and they did not care for it. Because Rome was like basically this all-powerful thing that stretched basically the entire known world. And Rome would overtake these little countries and kind of let them say, you can almost do your own thing, but you got to pay taxes to us. And the Israelites didn't like it. They wanted to be a free, independent country like they were in their golden age when they had kings and nobody told them what to do. They conquered other people and they told other people what they wanted to do. And that's what they wanted to return to. And so they didn't like Rome's kind of oversight over them. In fact, a little side note, this is why a lot of the Jewish people missed Jesus when he came. 
why they didn't think he was their Savior, their Messiah. Because the picture they had of their Messiah was one who would come with an army and defeat Rome and throw Rome out of Israel so that they could be free once again. And Jesus didn't really seem like the guy who was moving in that direction. And so they didn't follow him in that respect. And so since the Roman government said, hey, you guys got to pay us taxes because we're in charge now, certain people who were Jewish would go to work for the Roman government. The evil, nasty, hurtful, oppressive Roman government. And these people were seen as traitors. They, they, they were, had seen as people who turned on their own kind. And they were hated so much that anytime they are mentioned in the New Testament, you'll always notice it's tax collectors and sinners. They never lumped tax collectors in with sinners because they felt it would give the sinners a bad name to say, they're, well, they're not as bad as the tax collectors. I mean, the tax collectors are the worst. And then there's, you know, everybody else. But let's not, let's not be mean to the sinners by, you know, throwing the tax collectors in there as well. And so what they would do, though, since they were seen as traitors, they thought, well, what's, people can't hate me anymore. And so a lot of these Jewish tax collectors would inflate people's tax bills. So here's this guy, Levi, who's sitting at this bench collecting people's taxes. They would come to him, and he would tell them how much they owed. And let's say they owed 100 bucks. It was not uncommon for them to say, you owe 150 bucks. And they'd pass on their 100 bucks to the Roman government, and they'd keep 50 for themselves to get rich on. And so they were betrayers. They were thieves of their own people. They got wealthy at the expense of their brothers and sisters and cousins, and people hated them for it. And so here's this guy that everybody steers clear of, and Jesus goes straight to him and says, hey, Levi, let's go. I'm going to eat dinner at your place today. And that wasn't a popular decision. In fact, the religious people looked at Jesus and they thought, what in the world is he doing associating with these horrible, bottom-of-the-barrel, scum-of-the-earth human beings? And that's where the story picks up. The scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, so they turned to Jesus' followers to kind of, you know, badmouth Jesus, see if they can knock a few disciples out of Jesus' ranks. They said, hey, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And anytime somebody badmouths Jesus, it always seems like Jesus heard it. He must have had fantastic hearing because he says, And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And Jesus said, Not only am I okay spending time with messy people, it's the messy people that I came for. The entire purpose of me stepping out of heaven and walking this life on earth and carrying out this ministry and starting this brand new movement that I'm starting, it is entirely for the messy people. And sometimes I think we miss the entire point of what the church was meant to be. We kind of get this idea that we need to get away from the world, that the world is so bad and so evil and the influence is so bad that we need to protect ourselves and we need to get in our churches and we need to lock the doors and we need to get into our little holy huddles and then just keep the world out. But in doing so, we neglect the very mission that God put us here for. Yes, we can come to church and, and worry about us and, and growing in our faith and having great exper spiritual experiences with our Heavenly Father. Yes, those things aren't bad, but when all of our life is this inside us, us thing, and not about anybody else, we forget the very mission for which Jesus walked the, the earth, the world of people that needed him, the world of messy people that he came to offer salvation to and help them get cleaned up. And the church should absolutely be a place where there's a certain amount of mess. 
because ministry is messy, because people are messy. And it means entering into the lives of people who are not like us, people who are far from God, people whose, whose lives are awful or sinful sometimes by our standards. But to remember that Jesus loves them, and he died for them just the same as he died for you and me. And it often means that some of us, we got to remember where we came from. we got to remember where we were when Jesus grabbed us and started cleaning us up. We, weren't, we didn't get ourselves here. We're here by the grace of God, by his work, not our own. And when we forget that, it becomes a lot easier to look at those people like, they're awful. If they just do what I did, then they'd be okay. But you didn't do anything. Jesus did it all for you. It's like a, oh man, this is a very relevant example. Uh, it's like a parents bribing their kids way into college and their kids bragging about how good they were to get into that college. That's what it is when we look down on the world. It is. We didn't get here. I didn't get my way into heaven. I didn't earn my way to be a minister on a stage. I didn't do anything to get here. Jesus got me here. And to brag about it, to act like I'm remotely better than anyone else in the world, no matter how messy they might be, to act like I clean myself up, that is an abomination to the work of grace in my life. And so one of the main goals of Christians, it cannot be to avoid the mess. I know it's tempting. I know it's problematic. I know inviting mess into your life is, it's a lot of work. But that's what we were called to do. One of the best examples I've ever heard about this or illustrations of this, I heard years ago, I was at a conference in South Carolina, and a minister from Las Vegas, talk about a messy place to do ministry, right? He's a, he's a minister in Las Vegas, and uh, he tells this story, his name is Judd Wilhite, and he says him and a friend were walking through Caesar's Palace one day, they were walking through the, if you've ever been there, the forum store, uh, shops where there's just a lot of people coming and going, there's shops on either side, it's a very amazing looking place so people are probably looking around and not really going looking at what's right in front of them and so he's like him and his friend they just had lunch they're walking through the forum shops and they're talking and out of nowhere his friend throws up like I mean no warning no no say you know I think I'm gonna be sick he said it was so out of the blue that when the guy threw up it almost formed a word because it was like it surprised him like oh yeah I was going to the play you know it was like one of those kinds of like things and he's like and the guy just kept walking, and so he just kind of kept walking. And he's like, are you okay? Like, we can, there's a bathroom back there. We can go to the bathroom if you're going to go again. And the guy said, yeah, I might, you know. So he's like, okay. So he kind of grabs his shoulders and turns him around. And he says, as they turned around, he said, he sees one of those things, and he said it was like slow motion. You ever see something, you know what, how bad it's going to be, and it's just far enough away, like you can't get there to stop it. And he can't, it was just like slow motion. But right as they turned around to go back to the bathroom, they see a lady step right in the mess, feet go in the air, and she goes straight down on her back right in the middle of it. And so he's like, I feel bad for her. I would stop and help her. But this guy's getting ready to go again. I got to get him to the bathroom. And so as he's walking by with his friend, he hears the lady say, what's this? And he said he didn't have the heart to say, uh, that's Mexican. That's what that is. And get, he's a, he said she didn't need to know what it was at the moment. And so he gets his friend, and he's walking him to the bathroom. And just as he opens the door and his friend starts to throw up again, he looks back at the lady, and he says he sees something that has always stuck out to him as very powerful. He said he sees this lady's friends 
They grab her by the arm, and they put their hands all down her gross back, and they help her up out of that nastiness. And they knew what it was. Most people knew what it was. She was probably only confused because she fell, and it was a little disorienting. And he said that reminded him of, as gross as it was, that reminded him of what the church was meant to do, to just get right in the mess of people's lives to, to just get, and, and you, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get dirty in, in, the, in the meantime. But he thought it was such a beautiful picture of how the church was supposed to operate. We run into the mess. And sometimes by doing that, we are going to get messy. And there's times when we're going to show up and we're going to be able to help people before they really, really get into the mess. And we're going to be able to stop them before they slip and fall in whatever it is that they're doing. Other times, we're going to get there and they're going to have been Uh, in the mess for a while, down in it, and they're going to be confused and going, what's this? And what the church has gotten really good at, when we see people who are in a mess, and they're like, what's going on with my life? We're great at just walking up and going, that's a mess. Don't you know that's a mess? You deserve that mess. You walked right into that mess. Don't you know that the Bible says that that's a mess? We're very good at identifying the mess and telling people about their mess, all the while avoiding ever touching their mess. And Judd closed by saying something that I've always remembered, and I wrote it down years ago so that I wouldn't forget. He said, ministry is messy because sin is messy. Get over it, get a mop, and help people clean up. And that's what we're called to do. And I know that in the world that we live in, everything is getting more divided and and there's, you know, this side and that side. Every side sees themselves as clean, and that side's messy, and we don't want to go over to whatever side that is, whatever the line in the sand happens to be at the moment. But that's what we've been called to do, to run into the mess, to start reaching out into the world the way that Jesus reached out, going to the people who were messy the way Jesus went to the people who were messy. And we're going to have to start dealing with messes that maybe we're not comfortable dealing with. It might We'd be inviting messes into a church that maybe we've never encountered in a church before because that's what should be happening. Um, we'll be working with people whose whole life maybe has been drama. You know, there's some people, that's the environment they grew up in from the time they were little is drama. There's always something relational crazy happening. They're always looking to start a fight because they grew up in a fight. Everything was that way. And, they, and, and, and to enter into that, it's going to increase the amount of drama around here. And we're not going to like it. It's going to be uncomfortable sometimes. But we can help them find a way out of that. Sometimes we're going to encounter people whose whole life is a sob story that's, that's bent to make them the victim or the hero, however it goes. And they've tried so hard and everybody else and the world's out to get them. And when we hear their story, we're going to have to take a step back and try to navigate what the truth is through that, that slanted story that they're telling. And that'll be hard and that'll be difficult. Sometimes that means... Walking with people who are at the depths of addiction, and you help them and and they don't receive it, and you help them and they don't receive it, and you help them and they don't receive it over and over and over again as you get hurt over and over and over again. It means going to people who maybe have been told their entire lives they don't belong in church because of a gender confusion, sexual preference, uh, jail history, criminal record, drug use, whatever it might be. It means inviting in, encountering those, engaging those people who have believed their entire lives they don't belong in church, and maybe you believe that they don't belong in church. But from the first century Jewish perspective, Jesus, uh, or first century Jewish perspective, 
Nobody's inviting a tax collector to, to church with them. Nobody's, in, well, temple. Nobody was inviting that person to come and eat at their house. And yet Jesus spent time with those people. So much so that people accused him of being like them. But Jesus, he says, I came to seek and save the lost. I came not to just call the righteous, but the sinners. He came to be a healer. Jesus was born into the world with a mop to clean up the messes. And to lose that aspect of his mission is to lose one of the most beautiful elements of what, it, what we call the church. It's to lose a part of our very identity of who we are. And so, I don't know who you know that's messy. I know, I know messy people. I know I don't have to go very far before I can spot people whose lives are a mess. I mean, goodness, my life's still messy. By God's grace, not as messy as it used to be. Okay? But you don't have to look very hard to find a mess. And so the next time you encounter people in your life whose lives are a mess, instead of just kind of doing this and walking around, what would it look like for you to walk in, grab them by the arm, reach down into their mess, and try to help them up out of it? Yeah, it's going to take some time. It's going to take your energy. You've got better things to do. You've got a calendar full of other obligations. I get all that. But yet that's what we've been called to do as Christians. And again, ministry is messy because sin is messy, and that's something we just got to get over and grab a mop and help. And so a church that is only a mess, okay, I'll give you that. We don't want everything to be a mess in a church. That means we haven't done a very good job of following Jesus and let the Holy Spirit clean us up from the inside out. But a church that has no mess, we don't, that's not good either. That means we've neglected this very essence of becoming a, a rescue to the world, a, a rescue line, a mission of people who are going out seeking to save the lost and drawing people in in the name of Jesus. And we cannot let our church, we cannot let our church become a holy huddle, a, a hiding place for Christians. When what we were meant to be, as Brennan Manning said in his wonderful book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, the church was meant to be a hospital for sinners. That's what Jesus claimed to be, a doctor for those who were broken, a doctor for those who needed help, a doctor for those who needed to be cleaned up and find healing. And that's the work that we were meant to carry on in the church. So how messy is our church? It can very, very, very much tell us whether or not we're doing the work of Christ or whether we're just trying to protect ourselves from the work that he came to pass on to us. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the wonderful example of Jesus, of going to people who were unreachable. And as we read stories like this, I pray that we don't miss how powerful it was that Jesus would sit down and, and eat dinner with somebody. In that culture, to sit in someone's home and eat dinner, that was a, an intimate gathering, an intimate thing. It was something that you didn't just open up for anybody. You didn't just eat with anybody, especially with the Jewish people had very clear rules about who they could eat with and who they couldn't. And yet Jesus went straight to the people who were broken, who were lost in sin and greed and selfishness, because Jesus came to be a physician for the sick. And I pray that we would understand that for many of us in this room, we've been healed by the grace and mercy of Jesus, and that there's a world out there that needs that same medicine. And we have it and we can take it to them. But far too often we we act like we're a quarantine ward and we, we've been healed and we've been sick and so we come on in and we shut the doors and we lock them tight and we just think, okay, don't let them mess us up. Don't let them bring the sickness back in. But that's not how Jesus works. The healing of Christ is so powerful that sickness doesn't rub off on us. 
the cleansing of Christ can rub off on the world. And I pray that we would be people who can take that, that powerful message of salvation and hope and transformation to a messy world and that we could do it with grace and love, not yelling at people for being messy. I mean, just life is messy. Sin is messy. And we've all dabbled in it. We've all been captured by it. And I pray that that knowledge of where we used to be would fill us with compassion for a people that are still very much in the midst of it. So thank you, Father, for giving us progress in, in the, by grace and mercy. Thank you very much for leading us along this path of righteousness for your own name's sake and, for, and by the glory and power of the Holy Spirit. And I just pray, Father, that we would not be people who are scared of the world, but that we have compassion for it. And we wouldn't just be worried about how clean we are, but we would be scared for people for how the messes that they're in and because we know the consequences of those messes and the danger of those messes and that we would want to reach out to them in the depth of where they are and pull them to safety and help them get cleaned up. Again, not by their own power, not even by ours, but by yours through Christ. Thank you for this beautiful mission. You've given us a purpose. We don't have to waste our life or wonder what we're, we're put here to do. You've made it very clear what we're put here to do, to reach out to a lost world and help them clean up the mess. Thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.